Hey, what's up? It's Dan Mason. Do you feel stuck, frustrated, and unfulfilled in a soul-sucking job? Do you want to make a big change to do meaningful work, but you're really unclear about what direction you should even move in? Has the fear of failure, rejection, and financial ruin kept you chained to a job you hate? If you answered yes to any of those questions, August 18th is the day I want to help you change your life. I'm teaching an online workshop called The Purposeful Life, and during this training, we're going to get clear on what your life purpose is, what it definitely is not, and we'll even create a custom personalized purpose statement just for you. Plus, we'll talk about the sabotage patterns that have kept you stuck in an unfulfilling life and how you can overcome them. This is an amazing training with lots of free bonuses. You can get all the details on how to sign up right now on my website. Go to creativesoulcoaching.net, click on the gray bar at the top, and get all the info. I would love for you to join me August 18th so you you can live the purposeful life. And now, episode 36, how to overcome adversity and create post-traumatic growth with plane crash survivor and inspirational speaker, Dave Sanderson. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I use my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Arthur Golden once said, adversity is like a strong wind. It tears away from us all but the things that cannot be torn so that we see ourselves as we really are. Hello and welcome back everybody to Life Amplified. Today's guest personifies this quote more than anybody I've had the chance to interview. Dave Sanderson is an inspirational survivor, speaker, and author. His thoughts on leadership have made him an internationally sought out speaker. When U.S. Airways Flight 1549, also known as the Mirror on the Hudson, ditched into the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, Dave knew he was exactly where he was supposed to be, and the experience helped lead him to his life purpose. You've probably seen the footage from Captain Sully landing the plane into the Hudson. You've probably seen the movie with Tom Hanks. But in this interview, Dave is going to take you inside the final moments of that flight and how it led him to finding clarity on his life's purpose. We're going to talk about what post-traumatic growth is and how it's led Dave to a bigger life of service. He'll tell us what a virtual reference is and how it can help you move through any adversity. We'll discuss the importance of changing your physiology in order to change your emotional state. How asking empowering questions can help you thrive after any tough situation. And he'll tell us about his relationship with Tony Robbins and how mentorship has made the difference in helping him move forward. If you're loving the episode and you love Dave's message, you can always screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to tag us to let us know you're listening. You can find me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find him at Dave Sanderson Speaks. Dave's a pretty amazing guy. He was actually the last person to escape the plane after it plunged into the Hudson. He's going to tell us all about that experience as we discuss post-traumatic growth this week on Life Amplified. Dave Sanderson, welcome to Life Amplified, my friend. 
thank you for having me, Dan. I'm excited to be with you today. So exciting to talk to you. I know we have so many listeners in the New York and New Jersey area who were there and experienced that fateful flight, the miracle on the Hudson firsthand. And I want to hear all about your experience because we've seen the sort of the romanticized version on the movie with Tom Hanks playing Sully. But I'm really curious about what was going on in your life leading up to that morning. And I know that you're a guy who, you know, you've worked alongside people like Tony Robbins and you've always been a purpose-driven guy. But, you know, we can all be guilty sometimes of taking life for granted or taking our purpose, the things we believe we're meant to do, and maybe kicking the can down the road in the interest of making a little more money or a variety of reasons that we can procrastinate on making the impact we want to make in the world. So I'm curious, that morning when you woke up, before you boarded the flight, January 15th, 2009, what was going on in your life that morning before you boarded the flight? Thank you for asking, because we started that morning quite early, because we were in a three-day business trip, which ended up in Brooklyn, and we were actually doing distribution system valuations and checks with one of my future clients. And Their distribution center in Brooklyn opened up approximately 2 a.m. Part of their high high part of their day was really starting about 5 a.m. So we decided to go in about 5 a.m. that morning so we could be right in the middle of all the action so we could sort of see really how it goes on a day-to-day basis. So their runs started ending roughly around 9, 10 o'clock. So we got done about 10, and I had scheduled the 5 p.m. flight home because I always scheduled then the last flight out because you never know how the day's going to go on a business trip. It could go great or it could, could last out. So 10 o'clock, when I found out that uh, we were pretty well done, I that's when I called our corporate travel agent and talked to her, and she put me on flight. 1549 so oh my Canada, god uh, Canley Dan I wasn't supposed to be on the flight I had a first class seat at 5 p.m. and gave it up for seat 15a on Miracle on the Hudson which is known as U.S. Airways flight 1549 and that day as you're boarding the flight we all can be prone to either negative thinking or not really living our purpose and bringing it to life you had a great job you were doing sales at that point with Oracle yep. so what were the things that you believed about life or where was your mindset before that plane took off if you just looked uh, overall at your life that's that's a great question because as I look back on it which I didn't really realize as I was going through it because I think a lot of people when they're going through things in all their moments they don't realize what's really going on around but I was actually modeling my father's career I my dad was a sales manager he traveled three to four days a week he'd come home on weekends pack up on Sunday go back out again and making a great living and I was doing the same thing in addition I was also supporting my sort of my learning and personal development by being the head of security for a gentleman named Tony Robbins so I was trying to live the life of personal development, being a top guy, producer in sales, making a lot of money, making sure the family was taken care of. And I look back on that was great. Unfortunately, I was giving a lot of things up on the personal and family side, which I wasn't realizing at that point. I was uh, heads down on, you know, trying to be the top sales producer that year, which can I ended up being in our division. And uh, but why this happened is sort of a way for me to slow down and get my things in proper perspective. And I think you know, everybody's got a different perspective on why this happened and how this happened. And well, one of the things I think is maybe uh, God was telling me, hey, you need to get your stuff together. You think you're going in the right way, but you need to get your act together. I think that was one of the big lessons I learned from this. So you give up the first class seats on the 5 p.m. flight. You get moved on to this fateful flight that's going to land in the Hudson a few minutes later. But tell us from your perspective what that was like. When did you know that something was off with the flight? 
Well, when I heard the explosion, and it was a loud explosion, I tell people, people say, what was it? I was like, it's a loud explosion, like a boom. And I knew something had happened, but as you just mentioned, I flew so often, 100 times a year, and I still fly over 100 times a year. You go through the motions. It's like, okay, plane lost an engine, because I knew by flying so often, this planes have multiple engines. When we started banking, I thought we were just going back to the airport to get on the plane. So I really didn't realize the seriousness of the situation until we crossed over the George Washington Bridge. We were roughly, at that point, around 1,000 feet. The bridge is roughly 600 feet. We were roughly about 400-plus feet above it. I looked down and see people looking at us up. I was like, whoa, we're pretty close. When the captain made his famous words, this is your captain brace for impact, is when I realized, man, this is pretty serious. I mean, I've heard other people use the word dire. I probably thought it was serious because, candidly, I never realized that, you know, this thing's going down. We're going to a river, and we're probably not going to make it. How long does that whole process happen over how many minutes between the explosion until impact? And so many people talk when they're in a life-threatening situation that time slows down. It can feel like it's hours. What was the vibe there for you as you were going through it? Yeah, it was roughly somewhere between five and six minutes from time of takeoff to time of impact. And what happened to me is once we crossed over the bridge and I said some my final prayers, because mainly I thought this is it, time does slow down. It was approximately about 60 to 70 seconds after we crossed over the bridge is when we had impact in the river. But that last minute, when I tell people, you know, they asked me about that last moment, I was like, what happened to me is I saw the story of my life passed before my eyes. I saw things with such clarity from my youth and my you know, high school years and all the way up. I was seeing my, the movie of my life passed before my eyes. And it was it was slow moving, even though it was only 60 to 70 seconds. But I tell people, I, was, I had so much clarity why I was here. And that's what sort of gave me the impetus after we got out and everything happened. It's like, I need to change my priorities. I, my priorities are really out of whack. In that moment, did you believe that you were going to get out of this alive? Or did you believe that this was going to be it? That you were never going to see your loved ones? That this thing was going to go down and it's game over? I've never seen a successful plane crash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Or> somebody <laughs> didn't die. So, yeah. candidly, one of the things that passed for in my head is one of the things I remember was there was a, a flight in the Pacific Ocean that he was going down into the water and he caught the tip and he was he was flipping through the ocean. So I thought I probably wasn't coming back and if I did I'd probably be pretty mangled. That was to me worse than dying. I didn't want to be mangled. Like I tell people, I want I just want to come back in one body. Yeah. I didn't want to come back in multiple body parts and things going all over the place. And that was probably a worse fear than I had in dying, because at least in dying, I was going to go to a better place. So walk me through the moment where you're making impact in the Hudson River. And what is the moment where you realize that you could take a deep breath and that you would survive this thing? What was that like? Well, on the impact, it was, you know, the last thought I had was I hope my wife pays off the mortgage. We made a promise to each other to pay off our house, and at least she'd be a multimillionaire at that point. And I told her dad, if anything ever happened, to make sure she paid off the mortgage. So that was my last thought on impact. And when we impacted, I went back to my seat in Florida in my seat, and I sort of looked up. I knew I was alive. I looked out the window, and I saw life, but there was water over the window. So... Water was coming in immediately based on the impact and, you know, from the bottom and the back of the plane. So I tell people there's really two parts of the story. This, getting it down, the crew gets all the crowd, and they did a fabulous job, and I'll be forever grateful. Mm -hmm. But the second part was getting out. That's the part that was a total team effort by everybody because no one lost their heads. But until I got to the hospital, I never felt that I was safe. 
I had moments between, you know, trying to get out of the plane and had to swim to the ferry because I was, you know, one of the last passengers in the plane because I couldn't get on the wing or the boat because there was no room for me. And so I felt the plane shift, and I found out later how that happened. Tugboat sort of nudged it on the way out, and I thought I was going down, so I thought, Titanic, I'm out of here. I swam to the closest ferry, which was the end of the wing, and I'd already been in the water for six, seven minutes, 36 degree water, but I had adrenaline going. You don't feel anything. And I got on the ferry, I'm like, whoa, I made it. That was my first thought, like, man, I made it. But that's when all the adrenaline's gone, and now I was, I was so cold. I could barely breathe because um, all of a sudden that chill came in. It was, you know, 11 degrees outside, 36 degree water. And at that point, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die here, right here. And so I got to the triage center. It's like, okay, I made it. And all of a sudden, you know, someone puts a tag on my foot. I'm, the only thing I can relate is mash where they tagged your toe and you didn't make it. And I'm like, I did make it. I'm just watching this thing play out. So there were stages, Dan, through the whole thing where you think you make it, but all of a sudden you think, man, I didn't make it. And all of a sudden you made it. Well, I, didn't, I didn't make it. And I got to the hospital and all of a sudden that's when everything was in fast motion and that's when I finally realized that I did make it and when people all were all over me taking care of me, which I can forever be grateful for them. We hear these things of people who go through traumas, tragedies, life-threatening situations. Now, it can happen in a variety of ways. People will go through their own version of a plane crash in their life, whether it be literal or metaphorical. Because we hear so often about people living with PTSD and living in that post-traumatic stress. You talk about this in a very different way. Explain to us what post-traumatic growth growth is and how you really learned that a tragedy can drive you forward. I never heard the term until I was approached. You know, one of the things I talk about is everybody in life goes through that personal plane crash moment. Someone has something. In fact, I was, right before we started talking today, I was looking back at a video that my friend and mentor, Tony Robbins, sent me years ago. He talks about that. I mean, that's not where I picked this up originally, that everybody's got something in their life, something's going to happen in their life, and I call it a personal plane crash moment. But I didn't realize that until I was approached by AARP magazine because up to that point, people kept telling me that I was going to be depressed, I was going to have PTSD, I was going to need therapy. AARP approached me and wanted to do an interview with me, and I'm like, why do you want to talk to me? I mean, candidly, I didn't know what they were about. I knew nothing about AARP, and at that point, I thought I was too young for it anyway. AARPs were old people, right? I mean, I'm not old, but they found out that I, at that point, helped the American Red Cross raise over $8 million, and they found out my story. They wanted to know how I actually grew from this, where other people who've gone through experiences and or even the experience that I went through went into depression. So I agreed to do this interview. They share with me this term called post-traumatic growth syndrome. And there was a study being done at UNC Charlotte and one at North Dakota State University about this. And they were using some of my story to help validate some of their you know, response and their understandings. And all of a sudden I realized you can grow from these things. And, and also I started thinking about how did I grow? And I started documenting that. And then about a year and a half, two years later, I, I wanted to get this message out. I wasn't able to get it out in a way where people were really understanding it until I was very fortunate to be able to do a TED Talk. And my TED Talk was about that. And I did it in Canada at Queen's University because I wanted, A, there's a big issue in Canada right now with a lot of people who have PTSD. And I have a lot of friends, but my virtual assistant and my publicist both live in Ontario. So I wanted to do it in Canada. But second, I want to get on a bigger stage where people can actually hear about it 
in a different way. And so I did this TED talk and all of a sudden now this is pretty much what I talk about. The strategies on how to grow from a traumatic life event instead of going to a depressed state. I think I hear from my listeners all the time. They're going through a situation that seems like it is beyond them. It could be a health diagnosis. It could be a bankruptcy, loss of a job, loss of a loved one. How could you break this down into some actionable steps for whatever they're going through? How can they use it to forward them? instead of send them into a spiral. There's a lot a lot of ways that I realized what I did and other people have done. Um, and I'll start with probably the third one that I talk about now probably the most is you know virtual references. And I really didn't realize what that really meant until I had a actual experience where I'm sitting right now where I'm sitting talking to you, it happened. Where I got my wife got a phone call from a couple neighbors who needed help with their TV and you know, you're their neighbors and they're older ladies and you can't do anything for your neighbor, right? I mean they're your neighbors. She called me where I'm sitting here saying, Can you go help them fix their TV? And tell them one of the things I do pretty well is fix TVs. I know how to fix a TV. I'm pretty good at that. Right? <laughs> Aside from so, surviving plane crashes, you're great at I the can, TV. I can thing. handle TV. I can <laughs> handle TV stuff. I walk down the street I fixed the TV in a matter of seconds, right? And they asked me to stay for milk and cookies. And I said, you know, who's, who's going to turn down milk and cookies from a couple older ladies who can probably bake? So uh, they're getting the milk and cookies. I was sitting on their couch, and they had this coffee table, and they had books. And I was looking through their one of the books, and they had these pictures of these concentration camps. And I love World War II history. I mean, I, I, I dig it. I watch it. I read about it. So when they came out, I said, hey, where did you get these pictures? And they looked at me and said, well, we were there. Oh my they God. rolled up their sleeves and showed me the numbers down their arms. Wow. I'm like, whoa. So I said, you got to tell me the story. Let me record the story for you. And she says, we don't know. You, you can't record it, but we'll tell you the story. So I sat there for a couple hours. And as they told me the story, how they survived a concentration camp. Mm. They lost their family, they lost their parents, and it was an amazing story. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to record it because now they're gone, and you'll never get that story back. But that told me these two ladies— survived probably one of the most horrific situations in the history of the world. Not only survived, but thrived. And I said, you know, there's people out there who've, who've done things or survived things and grown from things worse than I ever have mm. or anybody could ever have. So, so the power of these virtual references is you can find somebody else who's experienced something worse than yourself. I mean, Tony talks about it. I mean, I heard Tony say, you know, you think you have a problem, you know, go over to Ethiopia where they have no food, no money. Go to Ethiopia, right? See it. You have no problems. So that's why I tell people with the power. One of the strategies I share with people is the power of virtual references. Now, it used to be when I grew up, Dan, you know, you have to go to the library or get the Encyclopedia Britannica and read about it. Now you can get on the Internet within seconds, get old somebody who's been through something worse than you and talk to them and work with them. That's one of the strategies I tell people who are going through challenging situations. Find somebody who's gone through something even worse and talk to them. You'll get a better perspective on you too can survive this. Which is beautiful, right? But for actionable steps, if somebody's in a bad state right now, what are some things that they could do? Obviously, you can always look for other people to and use that as a frame of reference to find gratitude. Are there some things, mindset shifts, or things that we can do within our body to create rapid transformation or change? Most definitely. One of the things that I talk about, I learned this from Tony. I mean, it's, not, it's nothing that hasn't been talked about is the power of meaning. Because you know, the meaning you attach to something produces the emotion of your life, and, emo- and emotion equals your life. And I share with people, you can go through the same situation. There was another gentleman on the plane with the same situation I did who, who was devastated. And he attached a negative meaning. And I talked to him, and you know, I started trying to help him is understanding you can reframe it's, it's a technique called reframing right you can change the meaning of anything the more empowering meaning just by reframing and looking at a different perspective so the one of the strategies and actionable strategies you can use immediately is the power of the technique called reframing it's the most powerful tool you can use to change the meaning of anything second thing that i share
share with people is it's about state management. Yeah, you can put yourself in an empowering state or even better, an appropriate state. Sometimes you got to go through some of that grief. But you know, if you change your state, and you can do it through your physiology, the questions you ask yourself or what you focus on. If you can change your state, you can immediately go from being depressed to being happy. How many people, as you see, one moment they're happy, next moment they're devastated because of the way they manage their state, right? Because something affects their state. And if you know how to manage your state and how these strategies and how to get out and change your state, you can go from being depressed to being happy in, in a matter of seconds. And that physiology thing is important. I've seen so much research on that. There's a woman Amy Cuddy, who's a social psychologist, you might be familiar with her, but she's done some studies or been part of studies where literally if you just stand in Wonder Woman pose, you know, with your hands on your hips, shoulders back, that it actually increases testosterone levels in people. It increases your creativity. Literally, there are biological changes that happen in your body just from your posture and the way you're standing. So is that when you talk about physiology, is that what it is just in terms of shoulders back? better posture, deeper breathing? You're in a lot of ways. I mean, sometimes you can't do that. You're in the middle of a business meeting and you got to need to get in a powered state. You can't just jump up, put your shoulders back and start breathing. I mean, yeah. people look at you like you're a crazy person. <laughs> you got to have triggers in way, different ways. And, you know, when I was in a meeting, you know, and I had to get, I would do it with my eyes. I would just change my physiology of my eyes and all of a sudden I take a deep breath and all of a sudden I was in an empowered state or before I go on stage I and mean, I speak over a hundred times a year, you know, some audiences, you know, different types of audiences. So I've got to be in that peak state because they've never heard me before. And I've got to go in with this, that, that state of gratitude and a powered state. So I, I do a power move behind stage before I even get up there because the physiology is the fastest way to change it. You know, she's exactly right. You can just get in the Wonder Woman's you know, pose. And, and some people, that's their trigger. Everybody's got a different trigger. People ask me, well, how did you manage your state on a plane? I mean, you're going down, right? You can't get up and jump up and down and do all that. And I was like, exactly right. So the way I did it that day is through the questions I asked myself, my internal dialogue. And that's how I did it. I, I'd ask myself different empowering questions, stay at least in a state where I wasn't negative. At least I was in a state that if I could be resourceful. What so, is a know, question that you would ask yourself as a plane is going down into the Hudson River that would help you be resourceful instead of feel scared? What were those questions for you? The question I asked myself over and over is how can I add even more value now and enjoy the process? How can I even add more value now and enjoy the process? And that, that presupposes I'm adding value. Mm -hmm. And but the most important part of that is enjoying the process because you can see people add value all day long. Day. I mean, how many people go to work every day? They go to work, they're adding value, and they hate their jobs. I was and, that guy for many years. Yes, exactly. And so, second part is is as important as more important. You, you got to enjoy. This got to be something for you too, right? Yeah. You know, can't always be outward. You got to look inward. So that was the question, and I kept going in my head. I got any more value today, and that's why I managed my state because I couldn't jump up and down. If I focused outside and watched the plane go down, I would be devastated. Some people were texting as we were going down. That's how they were managing their state, right? Saying I love you in their text, and that's how they they manage their state by doing that physiology. I did it through my internal dialogue on the way down. You so beautifully shared with us earlier that you were a guy who had sort of recreated your father's life. You were working hard. You were on the road. You were paying the bills, but there were some sacrifices that you were also making in your life. Where would your life be had it not been for Flight 1549? Where would you be today had that flight not happened, do you think this change would have happened on its own or would you still be going through the motions? Beautiful question, and I haven't been asked that for several years. I think I would have been going down the same path. You know, one of the things I tell people, you know, I had the honor and privilege of 
being with Tony Robbins. I mean, he traveled with me. I learned and absorbed everything that he taught. But one of the things he would continually ask me is, why are you still working for that company? Why aren't you doing something for yourself? You can't have total freedom until you do it for yourself and start your own business. But I always had excuses, right? I mean, I was making good money, was traveling the world, had everything we needed. I had, I had certainty. And my wife thrived on certainty. So I gave her certainty. But if this would have happened, I would have still been working for Oracle. I've still been doing that. I would have not been able to meet the people I've been meeting. I travel the world, meet, you know, impacting people's lives. So I think this happened for a reason and a purpose. I think each one of us had a situation where it happened for a reason and a purpose. And it changed my entire life. You mentioned the word purpose. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. What does purpose mean to you? Now what it means to me is how can I add even more value? I can go back to that question. How can I impact somebody's life every day and enjoy the process? That's my purpose right now. Where before is how can I make as much money as I yeah. possibly can, be safe, secure, and live that life? And you know, I go back to a book I read recently by Robert Kiyosaki, The Business of the 21st Century. He talks about people in that life where they work for an employee-employer relationship, and they're safe, it's certain, but they're miserable because they're not networking with people. They're not out there with people. They're not doing anything for themselves. I read constantly about this, but I think my purpose would have been totally different if I hadn't gone through this. Can a person, Dave, in your estimation, can they just internally make this switch on their own to live a life of purpose, or do we all need to have the personal plane crash moment to wake us up? You know, for me, in corporate America, it got to the point where the suffering had become so great, and I was starting to even experience some health issues at a relatively young age, where I said, enough is enough. For me, that was the turning point. Can people make a decision right now to do it on their own, or does there have to be a breaking point where they say, enough is enough? Well, I think they can do it on their own, and I've seen people do it on their own, but the people that I see make the massive shifts go through some pain. Let's call it that threshold moment, right? You hit, you hit threshold. You can't handle it anymore. You know, that's one of the reasons I work with this organization in Dallas called Halftime, because they work with people who've hit that threshold point. They become so satiated with what's going on in their lives. Something else has to happen for them to have fulfillment. And I think you got to have that kind of threshold moment to really make it happen quickly. But I see people do it without that. But I think you got to sort of have to have something to jolt you. And that's why I call my talk jolt. You got to have something to jolt you. It might be your health situation. You may have all of a sudden you find out that you've got cancer or you have a heart issue or something. All of a sudden that's the jolt. It's like, I got to do something else. This is killing me. So I think everybody's got to have that jolt someplace or hit that threshold moment. You've talked about your relationship with Tony Robbins, who, you know, really is, in my estimation, I guess, you know, really the godfather of a lot of these personal development concepts that we're talking about. I know there were other teachers that came before him. He was one of the first that made an impact on me. But you've had some other mentors in your life. What is the value of mentorship for you and in your estimation, how much quicker does it help people move their lives forward? Well, I appreciate that question because I was very fortunate when I first got in business to find a mentor. Candidly, back in the late 80s, Dan, I didn't know what a mentor was. I never heard the term before. But fortunately for me, I had somebody come into my life who had that, I could tell, 40 or 50 years of experience that they could share with me. I could compress their decades of experience down to my days of execution. Fortunately for me, that guy, they went Bill. Yeah, I figured out if I just listened to Bill, right? This guy's got the experience. This guy's done it. I haven't. All of a sudden, it helped me understand. I had to go still go through the lessons, right? I still had to go through some pain. But I found in my life when I went away from having mentors, that's when I started wavering. I didn't have anybody who would check me in. Fortunately for me, I've 
had mentors through my life. You know, now I've even expanded it to where I work with a mastermind group of mentors who can hold me accountable and I can hold them accountable. It's the most powerful way to make the massive, fast changes you want to make. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. People come to me all the time and ask me, how did you move from the corporate world to doing what you're doing? And people, Dan, for many years, I sort of switched back as like, you know, I, I appreciate that, but too long to talk about. But now I'm taking on a few people who really want to learn it because I think it's my obligation, it's my legacy to share what I've learned from all my mentors and leave with somebody else. So hopefully they can take it to somebody else and that's what see tony does tony wants all the people he interacts with to be out there doing his stuff that gives him much joy because now he's leaving his legacy behind people who just take it and take it home and don't either use it or pass it on are not fulfilling that mission he gets so much joy from seeing people take what he's learned share with other people it's my obligation now as i feel share that so that's why i'm doing what i'm doing with the groups that i'm starting and working with my mastermind group my my small mentoring that i'm doing right now because it's my obligation to do that yeah let's talk a little bit more about that tell me about the community you're building the tribe that you're building called impact what is that about and how could somebody reach out and get more information on that what i realized over the last about years came out with my book and people were i appreciate all the great things people said about the book but people wanted more and there's only so much of me. I remember back when I first was with Tony, if he wasn't on stage, he wasn't making money. He wasn't impacting people, right? He had to figure a way out. That's why he did his coaching and all the other things. So I said, you know, the way I can be with more people is if I start my, my own little group where I can give them exclusive content from me and, you know, all the mentors that I have, because all the, I've talked to all these mentors that were still alive and who are going to help me be, help with people. What I've also realized is you got to be exclusive. You just can't open up for everybody because you might get a 1,000 people. Now you can't impact a lot of people. Yeah. I learned that from my mastermind lead, Aaron Walker. Yeah, he basically keeps his groups very small because he wants to be able to impact people personally, not only on the business level, but on the personal level. So it's, that's why we're taking applications, and I want to really vet people because I want people there not just to be around celebrity people. I want people there who really want to have access to exclusive content that they can, and also have the access to people. See, my dad taught me that lesson years ago. He said, you don't have to belong to everything, but you got to have access to the right people. I want to give people access to the people that I've had access to, and which I'm able to do. I mean, how many times do you get to talk to a Hall of Fame basketball player? who's part, He's part of my group. I'll give you access to get to that Hall of Fame mindset. Somebody who started at nothing, who lived basically, I mean, with a mother with no father. They mm. grew up to be a Hall of Fame NBA basketball player, one of the top 50 players of all time. He's part of my group. Giving people access is also the second part of uh, what we're doing at the group impact. And where can people go if they want to apply or they want to get more information? Well, if they go to my website at DaveSandersonSpeaks.com and product section, and you'll see impact. And if you just go out and check it out and it, we're really focusing on servant leadership because it, comes, it has to come from the heart. Leadership starts to come from the heart. It focuses on your personal leadership skills, not your corporate leadership skills. Because one of the things I learned that day on the plane was if I had learned these leadership skills internally first and then sort of embedded them in my, in my body and my heart, I may have been able to do what happened that day. But it helped me tremendously because I had those resources available to me. Yeah, that's why we focus on the servant leadership. So go to my website, DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. Check out Impact. And if you're... You're inclined to apply, and we'd love to talk to you about if uh, you could add value and we can add value to you. One final question for you, Dave, and we can have a little fun with it because it's been nine years, and thank God everybody on the plane survived. 
Did U.S. Air offer you the $50 travel voucher after they put you in the Hudson River? Was that their make good on the back end? U.S. Airways did everything right. And you may have read this in the, in the papers, but they gave each one of us, by the time we got on Saturday, we all had a check for $5,000 wow. to cover all of our expenses and everything we had to, we had lost. So U.S. Airways wrote the book on how to have customer service in, in a tragic situation or traumatic life experience. I love it. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. Do you have an Instagram or a Facebook where people can find you also? Yeah, Dave Sanderson Speaks is my Instagram. Dave Sanderson Speaks is my Facebook. And LinkedIn is where we're putting a lot of this new content out. It's David Sanderson. I'd love for people to check it out. And I'll leave with this. If anybody wants to text the number 797979 and put the word grace, the number four impact in, I'll send them as my gift for listening today. One of the first videos from my new course, Cultivating Personal Leadership, called Overcoming Adversity in Challenging Times. This is just a gift. You can check it out. It's free. And uh, all I ask is if you look at it, pass it on to somebody else who may be going through a, a challenging time in their life. Dave, beautiful story today. I love this idea of post-traumatic growth. I love everything you're doing to serve people moving forward. Really a pleasure to speak with you. All the best to you, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dan. Hey, if you love the interview, be sure to let Dave and I know you're listening. You can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag us both. You can find him at Dave Sanderson Speaks, and you can find me at CSC Dan Mason. One of my biggest takeaways there is how many times do we wait for our own version of the plane crash in our life before we make a change? Maybe it's a divorce. It could be a health crisis. Why do we need to wait? Why not create the life that you want to live right now? And that is my intention. Saturday, August 18th, I'm going to be teaching an online seminar to help you get absolutely clear on your life's purpose today so we can get about the process of bringing it to life and creating your own life amplified. Space is limited for that online class. You can get all the details at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. Just click the gray bar at the top. You can find out more about that and other coaching programs where you and I can bring your purpose to life. If you love the content, please share this with a friend. Don't forget you can give us a follow here on the iHeartRadio app or you can click subscribe on Apple. Don't forget those five-star ratings and reviews really help us with the algorithm. It's going to help us get this message out there to more people. would love to get the podcast into the new and noteworthy section so your help would mean the world on that. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today. As always, it is my greatest privilege to serve you. And in the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can get out there and live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.